0: welcome to the concrete solutions network i'm your host chris Kadir. with us on our show today is a very special guest a local john elder of surfside restoration and waterproofing out of huntington beach john welcome to the show
1: Thank you, chris thanks for having me
0: absolutely it's a pleasure it really is John, we'll dive right into it. Um, What we're gonna do today is just focus on some basic but very important aspects of injection, uh, mainly with respect to polyurethane. So for the listeners out there, leak sealing on concrete structures that have cracks in them or concrete structures where you've got the unwanted ingress or egress of water in or out of that structure. So John, we'll we'll dive right into a, a question that's very, very common. Packers, so for the listeners out there, also known as injection ports. What are some of the things, John, that you take a look at as it relates to any given job that helps you select what kind of packer that you use? There's a ton out there. Talk to talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I mean packer selection uh, for us. I mean we've basically have been through pretty much every packer you guys uh, sell. We get brass, aluminum, steel. Um, we've tried them all. For the past I don't know how many years we've just grown accustomed to using the steel packers. Okay. Uh, just because we like the way they function. They're sturdy. Um, every once in a while you run in a batch of aluminum and it's not really the uh problem with the aluminum, it's more or less uh who's installing the packers. When you over over tighten them, you could snap them more easily than the steel. But uh yeah, we just uh we've grown accustomed to using the steel packers. Uh for some Terrific. reason we we're happy with them and uh, Figure why go to something different if if these are working the way you want them to.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate that input, John. Very, very good stuff. So on the note of packers, just moving to uh, something here a little different. Packer to packer, when you set up either on a curtain or if it's a crack, what are some of the things that uh, as as a veteran installer in the industry that you look for that are telltale when injecting that that give you the signal, hey, we might want to stop injecting on this one packer. And move to the next one in line. Talk a little bit about that if you could for us, John.
1: Uh, pretty much when we're when you're doing injections, you know, we're going to start at the bottom naturally, right on a on a crack, and okay. um, start at the lowest lowest point. Um, and what we found is if the you know if the wall was poured first and then you've got a uh, slab poured up next to it, you're going to have that vertical crack in that wall that's going to extend down below the uh, slab line. So we always make sure we drill it at a 45 degree angle down into the wall. Uh-huh. So Behind that slab. Gotcha. And then we'll just start, you know, like I say, start our injections low and just work our ways up to the, you know, work our ways up. One of the problems we run into is, as we're doing this, it'd be nice to see the stuff go, you know, packer to packer as we go. Yeah. Uh, but every once in a while when you're drilling and starting your injection, you're going to have an area where it's going to blow out the concrete. And all right. concrete is different on these jobs. Some is stronger than others. And you go to put the uh, put the equipment onto the, uh, onto the packer, turn it on, and the concrete blows out. Yeah, you're not, you're not able to get the travel that you want. You don't. You, you're not able to get it up to the next packer.
0: Gotcha. The material take within the substrate. I gotcha.
1: Right. So then at that point, you know, we pretty much have. We'll uh, go to the other side of the crack and drill another hole and yep. and go about it that way. Just to, and if we continue to blowing out the concrete, you know we've done done things in the past, Chris. where we'll go back in. We'll drill straight in. Yeah. Uh, straight into the crack. And well, that's not perfect because I don't think we're getting the material as deep as we would if we did a 45. Um, Sometimes it's just what you have to deal with on, you know, on the concrete that's given there.
0: Great point, John. And in fact, that's, that's wonderful. You say that. So for the listeners out there, there is a very prescriptive way to inject. We call it at Seal Boss, the one, two, three at a 45 degree. It's about a, almost a 11 page document you can get online. But John, very good point. When, when it's not working with those for whatever host of reasons, Nothing wrong with giving it a shot straight on. I, I completely agree, and that's a very good point. Uh, switching gears a little bit here now to material, specifically accelerator. You've been doing this a while, just shy of 30 years, so your experiences and the number of jobs you have in your repertoire and in your you know, hit sheet is, is voluminous and many. The range of accelerator that you've seen over the years you've been doing this that seems to be a bit of a sweet spot. Talk a little bit about what you like to use on any given injection job, knowing of course that it can vary. If you've got a gushing leak, you need to cut off versus a normal leak. But if you can talk a little bit, uh, John about the accelerator and the ranges that you're accustomed to.
1: Well, I'll tell you something, Chris, when we started doing this, uh, you know, I, I know there's guidelines as far as how much accelerator to put in. It says right. certain percentages and uh, we honestly never measure accelerator. We eyeball mm-hmm. pretty much what we, what we have. And you know, back I'm gonna say early in the 90s when we started doing business with uh, with Seal Boss, we didn't measure, we over-accelerated Seal Boss and said the uh, product was not curing. So we th- at that point we thought it was a failure in the product. Find out we had over-accelerated the product. Uh and One thing that we're learning now is that uh, it's easier. You can always put less accelerator in there, but you can't yeah. take extra out. So yeah. if we're doing our injections and you know there's more water coming out than what we can stop with based you know based on how much accelerator we put in. We'll add some more. Mm.
0: Very good. Yeah. So you can you can always you can always add. You, you can't necessarily take away, and that's that's true. <laughs> Once you start mixing those those liquids, it's that's the point of no return. Appreciate right. that. That's very interesting. Yeah. That's so you've, you've been doing it long enough to where you can by eye typically tell what's going to work for you and, and have a good level of success. That's great.
1: Right. Well, most you know, inspectors or engineers, they want to say, hey, what percent are you putting in? There? Right. Um, but for me, I'd rather be honest and just say, you know, what we think needs to be added is what we're doing. As long as we get nice. a good consistency of uh, foam, which looks mm-hmm. good, then I, th- I think we're good.
0: That's good. No, I appreciate that input, too. And that's for the listeners out there. As you do it more and more, you're going to be able to get those types of results where you've got a good closed cell foam in the end game after the cure out. And uh, that's that's just how it goes. Terrific, John. Appreciate that. On a bit of technicality, not so much now related to materials or packers, but pressures. Uh, when your pressure uh, reaches a certain level, typically I encourage guys to stop, let that material, quote-unquote, do its thing in the substrate, and then move on to your next packer. What kind of numbers in pounds per square inch PSI are you looking at uh, when you're injecting at any at any given packer or any
1: given port? We're doing about a 120 on the— on, uh... For our injection and you know basically we're, we're letting it run up and we're keeping an eye on the gauge letting it drop down and letting the pump cycle and we're just keeping an eye on the uh you know keeping an eye on the gauge as it drops as long as we see the gauge dropping we know the materials uh going in you know some some of the times on a, on a finer crack we'll turn the gauge down so that we're not blowing the concrete out before we can get the material into that crack gotcha there's too much pressure, and you get a you know fine hairline crack. You are gonna you know blow the concrete out back towards you instead of yep. putting the material into the crack where it belongs.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, and that's a great segue, John, to my next question here. When you've drilled your holes and you're setting up on a crack to inject to stop that leak, uh, you're gonna go ahead with your stitch pattern and you're gonna get your packers into place. What are some of the telltale signs that you can tell our listeners out there that will give you an indication that the holes that you drilled are in communication with the crack that you're actually setting up on to seal? What are, what are some things we ought to look for?
1: You try, you're trying to do, as you said, a stitch pattern. And we mm-hmm. talked about drilling. You got Number one, we got to find out the thickness of the wall before you you know start drilling on any any project.
0: So key. So key. I couldn't agree more.
1: So you find out your thickness of the wall. And then we basically we step it out. Uh, let's say you get a 10-inch wall, we step out uh, five inches from the crack. Got it. And then start a 45-degree 40, angle at that point. And it's at, that, at that point, there's no guarantee that you're going to cross that crack because some right. cracks run into walls will run diagonally, not yep. straight up and down along the rebar. Um, so basically, you're just, you, whenever we get to a job, we'll, we'll drill them, rinse them, and we'll, we'll start. We'll start on a crack and try one and see if that's the way the cracks run. If the cracks run straight up and down, if not, then you've got to adjust your angles accordingly. Yep.
0: These cracks oftentimes take a dive to the left, a dive to the right, deviate from just straight front to back, front face to back face the wall. So it's so imperative that we take that angled approach and stagger it going from left to right. When you do actually wind up having connection and having connectivity and communication is the word I love to use with the hole that you drilled in the crack, what would be an example of a telltale sign that you've got that communication?
1: Well, our telltale sign is once you see the material starting to work up the crack as you do your injection work.
0: so almost coming back out of that crack a little bit you can kind of see it oozing out a little that's correct yep yeah yeah that's 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 the game right there when when you've achieved that you know you've got what you're looking to, to set out and do and that's that's a great that's a great feeling on a job or on a training at least in my case that's that's terrific yeah right on techniques that you would use for cracks that could be larger than a quarter inch, I know some folks, they want to talk about the use of things like oakum. Some guys use different types of backers and different types of, of materials to get into the crack. Something's starting to push three-eighths, half-inch, John. What are some of the things over the decades and over the years that you've found that lead you to a successful injection for some of these wider gaps?
1: I mean, I can still use your the Silboss 1510 on some of the mm-hmm. If I'm going to have a problem with the material bleeding back out, which you will, right. we always can put hydraulic cement back over the face of the crack and inject from there just to contain the material. And then we can also inject water behind the 1510 to help it uh, accelerate. You know, depending on if there's active water coming through these cracks or if they're just damp. Right. If, there's, if they're just damp, we probably have to, you know, it, add water behind the injection.
0: To kind of speed things up and get the process going, huh?
1: Yep, that's correct.
0: Gotcha. No, that's terrific. And that's and for the listeners out there, these are these are techniques coming from literally decades of jobs all throughout you know California and other states and just success stories as well. So, John, we thank you for, for sharing that.
1: That's terrific. And Chris, I'd like one more thing on, the, you know, when we're talking about drilling. Um, yeah. You know, naturally, when we're drilling into these walls, a lot of, you're going to hit rebar. Rebar runs everywhere. You know, shock poured in place. It doesn't matter what it is. And when we hit rebar, what we want to do is we don't know if the water is following that uh, rebar on the front side or the back side. So if we do hit rebar, we always want to try and move the drill out further uh, away from the crack and go at at more of an angle to try and get behind that rebar instead of just putting the material in front of the rebar. That way you're stopping at its source instead of letting it continue to work along that rebar.
0: Took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say you're getting it closer to the actual problem, the source. That's absolutely fantastic tip. Wonderful tip, John. Much appreciated. And then one of the last questions here I just want to, before we wrap up, there are projects out there. You, you, oftentimes, you've got a wonderful set of, and the collection is is vast. It really is throughout the country and throughout the world, of very good, I, I like to call them consulting engineering firms. They don't always have to be boutique. They can be very large But nonetheless, engineering firms that specialize in prescribing and specifying materials to be used on injection projects, whether it would be chemical grout, you know, polyurethane injection to stop leaks, or sometimes structural epoxy injection with your two-to-one high modulus, low-viscosity injection resins that are designed to structurally bind the substrate. I find, and I think I've touched on this in previous episodes I find some confusion sometimes to exist, and I don't always blame those engineering firms because they've got a lot going on, and this is a very niche uh, scope and set of techniques and materials that not everybody dives into. You and I, it's the language we speak often, daily, in fact. When you're talking, John, to some of these really, really good, very versed, very smart people with these engineering firms On let's say for instance a water tank or some type of a containment vessel that has cracks in it and a structural issue is actually not what is in play but rather you've got a crack that's leaking what is some of the dialogue that you have with them to convince them this is not supposed to be handled with something like a two-to-one ratio high mod LV resin but rather a polyurethane and here's why Talk us through just very organically some of the dialogue and some of the things that you, you say to those folks to get them to kind of very legitimately see the light and switch their choice to chemical grout.
1: Well, I gotta be honest, Chris. When I'm when I'm called out to some of these tanks and uh, you know, naturally there there are some good sized engineers and uh, contractors working on these projects. First thing that comes to their mind is epoxy. They yeah. don't they don't know chemical grout. They basically they know epoxies, they know structural repair materials. And that's pretty much about it. So when we go on a job, we'll basically have to teach them, in a sense, you know, about why you'd want to use the chemical grout as compared to epoxy. Epoxy is a structural fix. Chemical grouts are out there to stop water. Most of the stuff we do is in a wet environment. And we we still go on to jobs currently where they've got tanks that are leaking water and the engineers want to use epoxies, right? which is impossible. Uh, So we'll go on a project and just basically, you know, present them with a the seal boss product. Um, sometimes that seal boss is not specified. Um, right, we'll right. have to use what they specify. Sure. And most recently we uh, used the product, another product that was specified, but the center points were so high in that, um, that we weren't able to get the product into the cracks. And yeah. we basically just came back to them and asked them if we could come back with the seal boss product. Um, let's say the 1570 LV, um, which has a lower viscosity uh, yep. and that worked fine. Otherwise, we were using the other manufacturer product and we we're just sitting there and the, the cracks were not taking. Yeah. So it's uh, we pretty much have to, like, say, teach these guys as, as we go. And they don't have any, you know, that much resistance to it. I think they're open to learning. Um, they are about yeah. this stuff. Yeah. But, you know, and that's one thing I like about the Seal Boss product. You've got so many options as far as viscosities. And, you know, some of these other manufacturers, they've got, you know, one or two viscosities. And most of them just aren't going to work for, you know, every product project you go on.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I um and names shall remain out of it, but to that point, exactly, John. As recently as today, I I had a correspondence with uh, a very reputable engineering firm in which uh, the individual there was under the impression that one of our steady competitors uh, had one of the widest array of offerings. And sure, you know, we all work for our respective teams, but I took that as an opportunity rather than a, a shot at my conscience and my pride. And I said, wow, it's it's interesting. And I want to educate that individual on some of the offerings. So to your point, John, very well stated in all these aspects of injection. And we really value your opinions and not so much your opinions, as much as your experiences and the things you've been able to share on this episode. So we'd like to say thank you, John, for joining us today on this, on this podcast. And uh, listeners out there, dive in and really Take note of what John with Surfside is saying. He's been doing this a very long time with a high, high level of success. So, John, again, thank you very much. And uh, work safe, and we hope to see you soon.
1: Thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. We'll talk to you, John. Okay. Bye now. All right.